Hello. Welcome to the From Lost to Life podcast. This is Angie, and I'm here with my lovely co-host, Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Angie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Just living the dream. Good. And we are, we're kind of, I'm in studio, but Michelle is away right now. So she is dialed in. And so it's a little different. Right. (laughs) I don't have you to my left. Okay. And we have a very special guest on our platform today. We have Kelly Cervantes and Kelly was introduced to me by a mutual friend, Lisa. And Kelly, did you know Lisa? Did you go to school with Lisa? Is that how you knew her? Sort of. We didn't go to the same school, but we competed in speech and debate together. And our coaches were married. So we traveled (laughs) everywhere together. So it's a very random connection, but she's incredible. So we stayed in touch. She is. Yeah. So she reached, Lisa reached out to me and she's just like, oh my gosh, after um, Kelly had written her book, she kind of was like, Angie, I think you should reach out to her. So um, we did and we made a connection. So um, we're going to just dive right in guys. And Kelly, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about um, your life today and where you, uh, where you came from? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, This is, uh, so lovely to be able to chat with you both. I am talking to you today from Maplewood, New Jersey, about 45 minutes outside of New York City. Um, And I am juggling holiday preparations. I have my uh, four-year-old is homesick today. Thankfully, my husband does not have a matinee today. He plays Alexander Hamilton on Broadway uh, until January 7th, 2024, and then he will be hanging up the ruffled shirts and boots. So um, that is uh, that is my life. We have a, a, another son, Jackson, who is 11 in sixth grade, started middle school this year, send all the thoughts and prayers our way as we battle the eye rolls and the attitude on the regular. Uh, and then uh, in between Jackson and Anessa, our four-year-old, we had our daughter, Adelaide. Uh, she would be eight today, but she passed away mm-hmm. four years ago uh, from a, a genetic disorder that was neurodegenerative, although at the time we had very little information to go off of as to what was going on with her. Um, which kind of brings me to the two of you, because I am also sort of back in uh, the workforce per se, as I wrote this book called Normal Broken about my grief journey. I had um, given up my career. Uh, I used to work in hospitality, sales, coordination of events for a restaurant group in New York City. And um, Adelaide was diagnosed with epilepsy the same week that my husband landed the role of Hamilton and quite literally overnight, I went from being our family's primary breadwinner to being a caregiver slash pharmacist slash therapist slash nurse slash all the things as I helped my family move to Chicago where my husband was going to be opening the production of Hamilton there and trying to take care of my daughter and her increasingly worsening condition. Uh, And it was, a struggle um, to adapt to this new life. It was one that I eventually in time came to absolutely love and adore. Um, 
I found so much purpose and strength in being an advocate for my daughter and learning everything I could know and going toe to toe with doctors, knowing that I knew my daughter best. There, it was, it was just, it was so empowering and purposeful and meaningful. And, and then she died sort of uh, summing up the four years of her life pretty um, quickly here. But uh, in the spring of 2019, we discovered after back-to-back MRIs that her brain was in fact getting smaller. Um, She had epilepsy, all sorts of other um, neurological issues. She never really developed past a three-month-old physically, uh, like uh, physical abilities. Uh, she was non-mobile, non-verbal, though she could still absolutely communicate with us. And uh, and so that was spring of 2019. By the end of the summer, it was clear that she was, that the, the degeneration was happening much faster, I think, than I had anticipated that it would. And we called in hospice services. And by October 12th, she had passed away just five days before her fourth birthday, um, and once again, overnight, I was stripped of my career and my identity all over again. Um, I was forced into retirement from this job that I loved taking care of my daughter and I lost my purpose. I lost what had fulfilled me in my life. I had all of this knowledge in my head that I didn't know what to do with. I had no practical outlet for this PhD in Adelaide that I had earned. Uh, And I was devastated. I was totally lost. And I, I mean, my grief really disabled me. It did not help that six months later, the pandemic started and compounded all of that loss and all of the grief and sort of shut me in a hole that I couldn't get out of. And I thought at the time that this was just like some cruel joke that the world was playing on me and my family. And in reality, in hindsight, Uh, I can now see that it was actually some sort of bizarre gift. And I I certainly say that and don't mean that I, that that COVID was a gift to us in any, any stretch of the imagination. I honor all of the lives transformed and lost and, and the pandemic was devastating, but it forced me to process a lot of my grief that I was avoiding by keeping on and just moving and going and not stopping because I was afraid that if I stopped, I would never go again. I remember when I lost my husband in 2009 to a drunk driver. And um, I remember stuffing so much grief and telling you know, when I went into therapy, telling the therapist that I was afraid to let it surface because I was afraid I would not recover, Mm -hmm. you know, from that deep grief. So I I understand what you're saying when COVID was a kind of a hidden gift for you to process it. Um, I had to slow down because I started losing my vision a few years ago and it has forced me to actually face some underlying 
grief issues that I hadn't because I was too busy with life. Yeah. It's, um, it is, it's the COVID, um, the COVID thing definitely made us slow down a hundred percent. And it did, I think, put a lot of, um, I don't know, just it really grounded a lot of people, I guess I would say that it grounded us to the fact where we had to think deep about everything. And, you know, we would, if we turned on the news, we were seeing people all over the world, you know, dying. And it just brought up, I felt like for myself, just so much of everything that I had lost, you know, and where we were at. And it was just, um, yeah, it was just, it was very different. And I know you talked about that in your book too, Kelly, where, you know, not only did you guys, you know, where you were at with Adelaide when she had died, you know, you guys had to move to a whole new city. Well, and it wasn't new to you necessarily, but you had to move away from where you felt comfort and where your, you know, where you, that your where Adelaide was and you had to move to a whole new place. So, um, that really struck me because, um, it's, yeah, it's hard. It is. I mean, there's, grief is so multifaceted and there are so many layers to it. And, um, but I think there is this massive chunk of grief that is really rolled up into resistance to change. And, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to change from the life that we had with our loved one in it. We don't want um, to change our routines, our habits, our grocery shopping lists, mm-hmm. our, all of these things that just are so habitual or comfortable. Um, and even if they're not, like I, there was so much of my daughter's life that was not comfortable. It was incredibly painful and grueling and exhausting, but it was, it was my, it was our normal. And so even resisting the change to what, is, you know, arguably an easier life. Actually, it's not arguable. There's, there's no question about it. Our life is easier without her than it was with her. That doesn't make it better. Um, but so it's that resistance to change. And that was, yeah. So the, the pandemic hit and Miguel had been offered Hamilton on Broadway and he had actually gone out, um, gone back East and had got in 10 performances on Broadway and then came back to Chicago where Jackson and I were because we were letting him finish out second grade in, in Chicago. And then we were all going to move at the end of the summer back to New York. And all of a sudden we had two homes, a home in Chicago and one in New Jersey, and we had no income. And so we were really forced to move back to the East coast before any of us were really emotionally ready to do that and and to say goodbye to Chicago where Adelaide had lived most of her life, where our community had been, who had stood by us, who had been our support, who understood, who knew Adelaide and, and moved back to a community that we adored. And we had incredible, we have incredible friends here and we're so fortunate, but it wasn't the community that had supported us through Adelaide's life. It wasn't the town where I had memories of Adelaide on every corner. And when you are clinging to your person, when you're clinging to your grief, you want those memories, you want that connection. And it felt like I was being forced 
to move on or, or forced to heal far before I was ready to do so. Yeah, that's, um, you know, and I don't know, I, you know, you said earlier, so I lost my son, um, Garrett, and I lost Garrett in 2006, and he was one. So and Garrett died suddenly in his sleep. Uh, he was at his daycare providers house, but we had learned that he had a heart defect that we were unaware of. And so um, I can 100% um, understand the like how you talked about, you know, it was ripped away from you just in an instant, you know, your job, your responsibility, because that's how I, I was taking care of my son. You know, he couldn't walk and he was, you know, barely talking and I was still feeding him. I was, you know, bathe, I was doing all that. And, you know, the I've always just like it's my arms were so empty um, for what I was supposed to do, you know, and my daughter was four at the time when our son had died and you know, and I felt um, immense guilt because I didn't know how to, you know, just be a mother to her because I was aching so much to be a mother to Garrett still and he wasn't there. So I do the, the when any life is taken from us, whether it's, you know, it's your spouse or your child or, you know, um, a sibling, you know, I've, I've lost all three. So I, I get the grief of all three. And so, um, but the taking care of somebody, you know, not that Garrett, he was very healthy. It was extremely healthy. So we thought, but you know, he, he died and I, I didn't get to be his caretaker anymore. And so that was just such an empty feeling in my arms and my heart and soul and everything. So. Kelly, your third uh, child that child's four now. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did, did, did that child come after? She did. So we adopted her. Um, she's been with oh, us for two yeah. years now, um, okay. which was another, uh, you know, she's amazing and she's incredible. And, you know, you talk about light. She literally, I, sh I call her my sunshine. She brought light back into our home that had been dark for such a long time. And um, I credit her coming into our home with so much of my desire to really focus on my healing process. She has been, she has been remarkable. It's also been this incredibly bittersweet experience watching her turn four, which Adelaide never did. You know, I, I try my hardest not to compare, uh, but it is, there is a lot of guilt that comes with that too, that, you know, feeling like we replaced Adelaide with another child. And, um, and I know that that is not the case. I, you know, a lot of people would tell me, you know, it can be both and, and, and I appreciate that sentiment immensely, but I have found that in some situations, it's not both an and it is, these are two entirely separate experiences. These are two entirely separate feelings and I need stronger grammar or punctuation to separate them. So I have now, I think about Adelaide and how much I love her and I miss her and I hate that she is not here. It is wildly unfair and it, um, I still hurt for her, but I am so joyful that I got to 
know her and that I got to be her mother and that I got her for as long as I did, period. I love Anessa with all my heart. She is incredible. She has sunshine and lollipops and unicorns and she makes me laugh and pull my hair out every single day. And I am beyond grateful that I get to call her my daughter and that I get to know her and raise her, period. They, they, these two thoughts and feelings and love for these two people coexist inside me as two separate entities. And that is how I sort of have been able to manage those complicated feelings is holding them both in, in my heart as two separate, two separate children, just as they are. It's kind of like, um, I, I think I shared this in my book or someone once told me another widow once told me that after losing a spouse and then getting remarried, it's like your heart grows new real estate for that next individual in your life. It doesn't take away from the first one. It Mm -hmm. just grows more. And that's kind of what I'm sensing as you talked. It's like the period, but yet it's like your heart just grew more real estate for this new little child. Yeah, absolutely. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's, I, um, you know, I always, we never had the opportunity to even think about, um, what we would do if we wanted another child, you know, my, um, first husband, Jack, he was diagnosed with cancer, um, a year after our son had died. So when Jack had battled then his cancer for 16 months and, um, you know, and then my brother had been battling a brain tumor for five years and he died exactly two months after my husband had in 2009. And so, you know, um, how you say, you know, you have this, you know, it's both and, um, but you can have both. It was for me, it took a while to figure out how to grieve both or all three, you know, because I, I wanted to still have that family and, everything was ripped from me, you know? And so even when Jack and I started talking about, well, do we want to have another child, you know, and we knew in our heart, we would never be replacing Garrett, but you know, that was ripped from us, you know, the thoughts of even having that or wanting that. Um, and then, but it took me a long time to, I had to, you know, just decipher who am I grieving? Am I grieving Garrett? Am I grieving Jack? or my grieving Seth, you know, my brother. And, um, it just, it's the space in our heart. And I just think it's absolutely amazing what our mind and our hearts can do. And, you know, our beliefs and, um, how we can get through, you know, each, each journey that we're on. And, um, I just, it's just, yeah, it's a testament to, I mean, I, I don't like the word house, you know, you're so strong. I don't like, I don't like that reference necessarily, but, um, it is true. I mean, we are strong and it's, um, it's a testament to, um, how we, how we definitely journey through this. Yeah. I, sorry, one second. I can, I don't know if you can hear my daughter screaming in the background, but I'm like trying to. Yeah, no worries. (laughs) I I understand completely what you're saying. 
And I agree. I, I don't necessarily, I don't really like the statement of you're so strong. I heard that a lot. Mm-hmm. And it, it definitely is, is uh, something that I didn't appreciate, I guess, at the time. Well, it's yeah. not something that we choose, right? And I right. think yeah. that that's like, it feels like, or it, it falls into the same category as me, for me, when people are like, oh, you're so resilient. And I'm like, okay, I don't think you under, like, resilience is something that you have to earn and work for. And it's not, it's not a, the badge of honor, this strength or this resilience, because the people who are strong or resilient didn't choose to be that way. They would much right. rather have the people in their lives and be weaker, less, Absolutely. less mm-hmm. compassionate human yeah. beings. And so it's, it, it's, it feels like another trope that people throw at you because they don't know what else to say. And it says a lot more about them than it does about us. Um, but it is, I, yeah, I, I agree. It is, a complicated sentiment. And yes. and I know that they, anyone who says that means well, and they are in awe and they don't want to imagine themselves in that position. But yes, at the same I time, would <laughs> I would agree with you. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, I was going to ask you, Kelly, I, um, and I went in your book, I marked this and you had talked about in your book about um, when people ask you how many kids you have and mm-hmm. or, you know, how do you include your, you know, Adelaide? And I actually I do a blog as well. Um, and so I wrote about this because I struggled with this. So, you know, Garrett's been gone for 17 years, you know, and um I mean, that's still unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable to me because I still feel like I was just holding them. But um, but you wrote in the book about you talked a lot about that. And um, it just made me um, what your son said in your book. Um, do you do you want to talk about that? Because I, I struggle with that still today. And I don't know why it is I struggle when someone says, how many kids do you have? it should be extremely easy for me to say, I have two kids, you know, I have a daughter, Gracie, who's a senior in college and I have a son that's in heaven and I get so stuck and I do not know why I get stuck because I want to honor him. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's a situational, you know, where you're at at the time. Um, but I loved what your son Jackson had said about that. Yeah. So we were, the story is we were watching a movie or we were going to watch a movie. We were trying to figure out what movie we were going to watch. And I had come across some new release, but it was, it was like a monster movie. I was like, oh, I bet he would like this. This would be fun. And he was like, no, I don't want to watch it. I was like, but you're not scared of the monster. You know, the monster's not real. He's like, it's not the monster I'm scared of. It's the people's expressions when they see the monster and they're running away. It had nothing to do with the monster itself. That it, that wasn't what bothered him. It was the reactions. And I had this moment of lightning where I was like, oh my gosh, it is, I am not afraid of telling people about Adelaide. I want to tell them about her. How, like, it, it sucks to be them that they didn't get to know her and how incredible she is, was, 
I use them interchangeably. I know. <laughs> um, so it's, I, you know, I had struggled with that too, because I was like, why, why am I stumbling over my words when I get this question? And I realized I was trying to protect the other person because, and, wow. in, and also protect myself a little bit, because if I share that and that person isn't in a place emotionally where they can receive that information, then that all falls back on me. And I am now comforting them, or I am now putting a bandaid on an awkward situation. And whereas all I want to do is share my daughter and, and talk about her in the same way that I would talk about my other children, it, it's not up to me. It's up to the other person and how they respond to that information. And, you know, and I, Miguel, my husband, he has no issue just being like, oh, we have two kids, like depending on the situation. He's like, Kelly, sometimes it's small talk. And if you're just like passing someone on the street or you're like standing at the playground, you don't need to divulge that information. And I'm like, but I don't know how not to. I feel like I'm lying otherwise. Like, mm -hmm. and there's also a part of me that wants to normalize this. So many people lose children. This is not uncommon. I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure because it's not the natural order that we think of it. So people don't like to acknowledge that child loss happens, but it is unfortunately so much more common than people think. Mm -hmm. And so there's part of me that also wants to normalize that to be like, you know what? This really sucks, but kids do die. And my kid was one of them. And I just as, you know, someone might share, oh, you know, are you, you know, you going to your parents for the holidays? Oh, well, my parents passed away. So we're going here that, you know, we do it at my house. And I feel like that's a far more comfortable conversation to have than when it's about child loss. And um, so yeah. I am incapable of being like, I only have two children. I always, I will always have three children. And I have just learned to steel myself, I guess, against the response and leave that person's emotional baggage with them and not let it impact me, which I understand is so much easier said than done. And it is something that I have had to practice for years. And this is coming from a place where when we first moved back to New Jersey, mind you, I refused to meet anybody new. And I would force Miguel to go out and meet all of our neighbors and meet everyone first and tell them our story before I ever said a word or laid an eye on a new person. So it is not as if I came to this place where I am now where I can talk openly and not worry about the other person's response lightly. Like I came from a dark spot where I wasn't even communicating with people that I didn't know. Yeah. I, I have something I want to pose to both of you um, because it's a, it, it's kind of an issue for me. Um, and I, I'm just interested to, to hear your thoughts on it. So let's say you, you just bring your, your loved one up, whether it's your children or Angie, like it's your spouse in a conversation and you're not, you're not saying their name because you're looking for any sympathy. It's just part of the conversation that is a story, right? 
and the the receiver of this information says to you, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Sometimes that throws me for a loop. Do you guys have weird reactions to that ever? Or is it just me? Um, well, my husband's been gone almost 15 years. It's going to be 15 yeah, years. In, you know, in I usually, it, it throws me only because it breaks the pattern of conversation that we're having. Yes. And so I take a beat and I say, thank you so much. And then I just keep going <laughs> because I think that's all I'm like, thank you. I, you know, I, for a while I would be like, oh, it's okay. You know, she, she suffered a lot. And then I came to a point where I was like, you know what? It's not okay. It really sucks. And it still does. Mm -hmm. So I just say, thank you. Yeah. It, you know, I, okay. Really you, hard. you answered probably you put it into words what I was feeling. It breaks the sequence of what I was trying to say. It yeah. yeah. throws a loop in there and it takes me off guard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't, you know, for me too, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure this out. And like I said, it's, you know, it's been 17 years since Garrett has died and it happened this summer and it's normally new people. Um, you know, I was, and it happened, I was on the golf course and, I was golfing with this new group of ladies and this gal asked me how many, how many kids I had, you know, and I like, so in the situation, like I was just like, well, you know, I've got to take my next shot. You know, like I, I don't have time to chit chat. Do you have a couple hours so I can talk to you? <laughs> you know, but, and it was just like, um, I said, oh, I have a daughter. She's a senior in college, you know, got out and started golfing and, there was a gal that was sitting next to me. So there was these two other gals, but the other gal in the cart with me, um, she had lost her son and she, I got back in the cart and I looked at her and she looked at me and we just had this feeling of, I mean, we just got each other. Now the other girl that was standing there knew she has not lost a child, but she knew, you know, my story hundred percent. She looked at me with pity, like, a hundred percent pity. Like, why would you not say, you know, about Garrett? And it was just, it, and to this day, it's still a thing that's in my head. And, um, but so I wrote a blog about it. And then when I read your book and I read that part that your son Jackson had stated, I journaled about that. I journaled about his statement and my whole feelings and belief around it. And it has really helped me. And I just, I know what I'm going to do going forward now. So I want to tell your son, thank you. <laughs> I, he's, he's a smart little sucker. I got to say, he's like, his emotional intelligence is, is through the roof. Um, it seems to be um, slightly disabled by his hormones currently, but well, I'm hoping it comes back to him. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, and then, yeah, so... So you journal, did you journal a lot, um, through, did you have time to journal through Adelaide's, um, through her journey and through her life? Or did you just kind of start this up after, um, your book after Adelaide's death? So I started my blog about two years before she passed away. Okay. And the blog was sort of my public journal. I didn't really have capacity to, journal daily or even much beyond that. The blog was sort of my my outlet, my way to process what was going on. 
during Adelaide's life. And then after she died, it became the way that I processed my grief. And then I, um, it wasn't too long after she died that I, in addition to writing the blog, I started keeping a journal that was essentially just letters to her. Um, different emotions I was struggling with, different pieces of my grief, like the beginning, the inklings, those feelings that you have and you can't quite articulate what it is that is bothering you or what the trigger of the grief is that impacted you that day. And I would just sort of stream of conscious write these letters to her as if I was still sitting next to her bed in the rocking chair or, you know, connecting her feeding pump to her Jeep tube. And, um, and so that helped kickstart a lot of what became blogs for me to just, I, I have to, to process my emotions. I have to write, I have to write it out. I have to get it out of my head because when these thoughts and feelings are confined to words and sentences and paragraphs, they're a lot less intimidating to me. Yeah, I, I agree. agree. Yeah, Michelle, you probably agree too with your, um, yeah. that's how I, you kind of got your book to where it's at. Yeah, I blogged during my grief. And when I actually published my book, some of the, some of the storyline was pretty raw. And I've come so far, and I, when I was reading it back, I was like, wow, I was really an angry person back then. But that's grief, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, was, uh, I blogged a lot after Garrett died, too. And I always say this. I, I'm huge on journaling um, just because that was – I couldn't sleep at night. You know, I'd wake up mm. crying after Garrett had died, and the only thing that I could do was write. And even if I could only write a couple sentences – I would stop once my tears stopped, you know, and then I could go to sleep, you know, and, um, I'm just, I'm a huge advocate for journaling. So, um, but it was amazing how you see your progression, you know, like I would read it six months later and I was like, wow, Angie, you've come really far. You've done a really good job. Or, you know, then 12 months later, Angie, you, you're, you're healing, you're healing, yeah. you know? You know, you don't see it. You don't see it. You don't feel it necessarily even, you know, but you have to read that progression. And that's what's um, so amazing to me with journaling and just even writing. So, yeah, but if you don't have that record, then you can't see that growth. You can't see that progress. And I think sometimes when you are in the thick of it and it just it feels like you're like swimming through syrup or you're treading tar and you're moving so slowly through life, you need those little reminders to show you that, you know, six months ago, you couldn't remember the last time you brushed your teeth. Three months ago, you couldn't step foot in a grocery store. One month ago, you couldn't have dreamed of attending a child's birthday party but these are all things that you are now capable of. And without that writing, without that, <laughs> those markers in time, it is, it can be really hard to see that growth. I, it's what, one of the main reasons that I included the journal prompts in the book that I did. Yeah, I after thought that was amazing. Chapter. Yeah, that was such a great idea. 
It was a very good idea. I don't know. See, like, I don't, Michelle, maybe you haven't seen that, but see, so there's the end of a chapter and then she just has some journal prompts and then writing. Um, so that I thought was, that was amazing. Very smart. Great idea. Yeah. And that's actually where I wrote um, about after Jackson. I was like, well, I'll just write it here because I'm reading and I have a pen right here. So I love um, it. Yeah. So that, that was really helpful. Um so Kelly, what's, um, what's your next step? So, okay. So I know probably some of our listeners are very interested in learning about just a smidge about your husband being Hamilton on Broadway. <laughs> um, can you just share a little bit? I know he's ending his tour with that. Um, tell us what that's been like and what's the next steps. It has been, Miguel said it perfectly. It his journey with Hamilton has been like holding a rocket in one hand and a parachute in the other, because oh. it, it was so intertwined with Adelaide's life. I mean, people had no idea they would go see him at a Saturday evening performance. And they didn't know that he had come from the hospital in between shows. He would come and visit Adelaide and me in the hospital. She was hospitalized so frequently. Um, or he would go, he sang the national anthem at a, Chicago Cubs game or throw out a first pitch and I had come from the hospital or were at a black tie fundraising gala that he's performing at. And I'm getting text messages from the babysitter about how many seizures Adelaide has had since we've been gone. And that was just our normal. It was this wild, wild ride and just so intertwined. We found out that Miguel was going to be transferred from Chicago to Broadway for four or five days after Adelaide passed away. I mean, it, it was just, the two have been so intermixed in our lives. It's this very bizarre moment to have his run in Hamilton come to an end. It'll be over 2000 performances as Hamilton wow. oh, spanning nearly eight years. And it's just, we are so grateful for the opportunity, grateful for the platform that it provided us so that we could raise epilepsy awareness. I joined the board of Cure Epilepsy, which is a nonprofit organization. We've done a lot of fundraising for them. It opened so many doors for us. And, and I mean, we're just beyond grateful that, that it provided us the financial means so that I could stop working, so I could be home with Adelaide. It, the show has just been an incredible gift. I will also add that while it is a very sexy job, it is not a sexy life. <laughs> and no. Miguel has missed so much. He missed, he's missed so many of Jackson's baseball games. Anessa, he hasn't seen any of her dance recitals. He misses parent teacher conferences. You know, it, he hasn't seen what a Wednesday or Thursday night at home looks like outside of COVID in eight years. And it's or Saturday afternoon. I mean, so it's it. I've it's been really it's hard. I, I'm a single parent after five o'clock every night of the week, except for Sundays and Mondays. So with that being said, um, did you feel at times you were on your grief journey by yourself? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, I it. it Miguel and I also grieved wildly differently. He was very, he, to this day, for the most part, is very solitary in his grief. He grieves on his own when he's by himself. Um, and I grieve everywhere. I, so I need someone to hold my hand. I 
sometimes, especially in the early days, I wanted my grief to be witnessed. I needed it to be seen to, for people to understand how real it was and how painful it was. Um, and that wasn't something that he was capable of doing. And because he grieved by himself, I never knew when or even if he was grieving. So my grief felt very, very um, isolating. That is something that we worked through in our marriage that, you know, he eventually would progress. I talk about this in the book where, you know, he would grieve by himself, but then he would tell me about it after the fact. And that helped me to at least know that he was grieving, that I wasn't so alone in that. And I'm sure it feels very awkward to him to tell me that he was crying while grouting the shower the night before, but it definitely helped me to feel less alone in my grief. And then vice versa, I had to learn to respect the fact that he wasn't going to be able to be there for me in my grief the way that I wanted him to be. And, and I, we put so much pressure on our romantic relationships to be the end all be all on, in our lives. And it's just not realistic that this one person can fit all of our emotional and physical needs. I use the example that if your sink is broken and you or your partner can't fix it, you don't get mad at each other. You call a plumber. And I think that we need to be better about outsourcing some of our emotion, emotional needs in our marriages as well in our relationships. Miguel couldn't be there for me in my grief because of his own grief. And that was something that I had to accept because he was also accepting the way that I was grieving. He never made me feel like I was grieving too much or too visibly or too loudly or, you know, too frequently. He accepted my grief and never made me feel less than because of it. Likewise, I can't, I can't do the same to him. So I, you know, when the one year anniversary of Adelaide's death was coming up, I called a friend and asked her to come out and, and be with me because I knew that she was grieving Adelaide too. She was going to ugly cry in bed with me. And then make, she made jokes mostly at Miguel's expense, which were great. <laughs> and then we like cuddled up under a blanket and watched Shit's Creek. And, you know, and, but that was what I needed. I needed someone to hold me and to grieve with me and then to pull me out of it and distract me. And, and so I found someone who was going to be able to do that for me and with me. I, I like how you just said that you grieved visibly and loudly. And I would, I grieved the same way. And Angie, I would put you into that group as well. And it's interesting because there's so many people that don't grieve like that. And I felt like it, more than me, my grief when it was loud and visible to others, underscored and validated who I was grieving more than me. It was like, they mattered. They were alive. They were loved. They loved. And it's because of all that, that this grief is so loud. Yes. That's yeah. where my mind would go sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, I agree. I am. Um, yeah. I just, for me too, same, same, you know, it was just um, Jack and I had, definitely grieved um, Garrett differently as well. And Jack was just like, I'm just going to keep busy. 
um, head down work, you know, threw himself into that. And, you know, there were times I was just like, okay, you know, so in your book, Kelly, everything that you had said, um, you know, I'm remarried now. And after I would read it, or I was reading chapters, I'd be like, I'd tell my husband chance, I'd be like, Oh, my gosh, that's exactly how I felt, you know, because he wasn't around, you know, that he wasn't around me when um, Garrett had died. So he didn't, he didn't know. But I'm like, I would read a little snippet. And I'd say, Oh, my gosh, that's exactly, exactly how it was. I'm like, she's writing my book. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, I am also writing a book, I'm in the process of writing my book, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be different. But it's, um, but no, I I read yours. And I'm just like, I felt the same. And so um, I thank you for sharing all those all those feelings and those emotions and just how true um, losing a child can really, really just um, change the whole trajectory of our lives and Mm -hmm. um, where we go. And so I, I thank you for that. Well, um, ladies, it's about that time where we begin to wrap up our um, podcast for today. And Kelly, I thank you so much for jumping on with Angie and I. Angie was so excited um, when she told me that you were going to um, agree to come on to our podcast. So I'm just thrilled about this. Um, With our guests, we always like to end um, and ask our guests to share uh, like a saying um, or quote that speaks to their heart or maybe a line from a movie or lyrics from a song. Do you have anything you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I do. So um, the night before President Biden's inauguration, he led a COVID-19 memorial. And um, regardless of your politics, you have to respect that this man knows grief. He lost a child and a wife and an adult son. Um, And in that speech, he had this line. He said, to heal, we must remember. And that line, I mean, it was as if someone had like slapped me across the face because up to that point, I had thought that healing meant that I had to, to forget her in some way or lessen my grief in some way that I, it meant moving on. And it wasn't until that moment that I understood that healing could be remembering it could be moving forward with her and even though she's not physically with me that doesn't mean that she's not with me any less than she was before so to heal we must remember that those that line allowed me in a way it, it allowed me to give myself permission to heal that mm-hmm. I wasn't going to be dishonoring Adelaide by healing because I would always be remembering her. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. So yes, I, um, and speaking of, 
um, Biden. Did you just see he was on Anderson Cooper's podcast? Um, I don't know if people watch, but Anderson Cooper has a podcast and he talks about it's a grief podcast. And yeah. It, he does an amazing job and he just um, interviewed President Biden and I listened to it the other day and it was it was very, very good. Um, lots of tips and points. So if you get a second, check that out. Um, but um, Kelly, thank you so, so much um, for being a part of our journey. And, um, you know, my heart goes out to you as a lost mom. And, um, you know, I hope the holidays are as good as they can be for you and your family and you guys can all make new memories. Thank you so much. And wishing both of you a gentle holiday season as well. Right back at you. <laughs> all right. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks everybody. Yep. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care.